Well, good morning. Uh, we are beginning uh, uh, to walk through the book of James. Uh, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, last week, Pastor Nick introduced us to the person of James, uh, the, one of the brothers of Jesus, um, and the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and the author of this book. Uh, but today we're going to begin uh, walking through this letter Uh, section by section, so I'm going to read the first 11 verses, James chapter 1. Let me invite you wherever you are to read along with me or listen as I read. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for these, uh, this wisdom that you gave uh, to James for the benefit of his people that he was writing to. Would you, by your spirit, take this wisdom, take these words, strengthen our hearts, equip us, Uh, for the trials that we face today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning's passage is about dealing with trials. And these days, I don't think I need to say anything more to prove that we are dealing with a relevant topic. So let's jump right in. James was writing to people who were experiencing trials. Verse 2, he says, when you meet trials of various Kinds. The King James translates that verse, when ye fall into trials, like the man in Jesus' parable who fell among thieves. It's the same word. Or it could also be translated, when you strike trials, the same word is also used in Acts, when Paul is on the ship in the storm and the ship strikes a reef and begins to break apart into pieces. The idea here is of an unchosen encounter with an intense difficulty that brings us to the end of our own resources. When you meet trials, when, you're, when you encounter trials, when you're confronted by trials of various kinds that you probably didn't choose and might not have expected. Trials can take many forms. They can be external, sort of circumstance-driven or internal, uh, wrestlings in our own hearts. They can be chronic Uh, or acute, they can be long anticipated or entirely unexpected. 
Now you might wonder, what specific trials were James's readers experiencing? Well, tell that at least some of them were facing persecution for being called by the honorable name of Christ. We see that in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We also see that many of them were experiencing poverty. Now there's probably the most references to being poor as a trial. Uh, financially strapped. Verse 9 mentions the lowly brother, the Christian in humble circumstances. Verse 27 mentioned widows and orphans, uh, two of the most vulnerable groups of people in the ancient world. Verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 15 mentions a brother or sister in Christ who is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food. Uh, chapter 5 mentions day laborers who were working in the fields but being deprived of their rightful wages. Uh, so many were experiencing, some were experiencing persecution, many were experiencing poverty, others were dealing with sickness. We see that in chapter 5, verse 14, and finally, many had been scattered. Who does James write to in chapter 1, verse 1? Those in the dispersion, uh, those who had been scattered. So persecution and poverty, sickness and scattering, these are some of the trials that James's people were enduring. Um, now, Uh, Do we know anything more? Uh, Well, we know that James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we know from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 19, that a significant number of Jewish Christians originally from Jerusalem had been scattered due to the persecution that arose over Stephen, uh, the first martyr. And these Jewish Christians, Acts tells us, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. They scattered in several directions. So perhaps in the mid to late 40s AD. Now if that's true, this letter would be the earliest Christian document that we possess. The earliest New Testament writing. Now we can't be sure of the exact date or the exact location uh, to which James was writing. uh, But James was writing as a pastor to his scattered flock. The 12 tribes representing the probably Jewish Christians who had been scattered uh, throughout the nations from Jerusalem. James is writing as a pastor to his scattered flock who had experienced persecution and poverty, sickness and scattering, trials of many kinds. And the Lord Jesus who inspired James' words back then and who has faithfully preserved them through the centuries continues to speak to us through these words today. Even as we are scattered. And even as we face trials of various kinds. So what does James have to say to us about dealing with trials? Well, I want to look at James's teaching under three headings. First, the purpose of our trials. Second, prayer in our trials. And third, perspective on our trials. Purpose, prayer, and perspective. So the first thing we see is that James reminds us in verses 2 to 4 of the purpose of our trials. He says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James uses some rich words in these verses. Uh, So let me delve into four of them briefly. Uh, First, testing Uh, James talks about the testing of our faith. Now, that word appears only twice in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Uh, But it it appears in Psalm 12, verse 6, 
where it says, The words of the Lord are pure words like silver tested in a furnace, purified seven times. And then similarly, Proverbs 27, 17 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Now, in both places, testing refers to an intense and prolonged process like metals being refined in a very hot furnace through which they're revealed to be genuine and purified of all, uh, of everything that's not genuine. And in the New Testament, that word testing can refer both to this painful process of being refined in a fire as well as the glorious result of shining with process of being refined in a fire as well as the glorious result of shining with the number one quality that James is calling us to embody as believers in Christ. To be steadfast, that is, wholehearted, undivided in our loyalty to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is steadfast and wholehearted and undivided in his covenant commitment to us. Now we'll see this theme developed as we walk through the letter of James. And we've chosen to entitle this sermon series, Steadfast. So testing produces steadfastness, but the ultimate goal of trials is to make us perfect and complete. Those are the last two words I want to delve into. Uh, Now, for some of us, when we hear perfect, we think unattainable. And I've even heard some people say, perfect sounds boring, right? First, we think it's unattainable. Whenever a human being claims to be perfect, right, to always get a 10 out of 10 on everything, we know it's not true. But I've also heard people say things like, you know, if the world was perfect, it would be boring. There wouldn't be any variety or adventure or challenge or risk. But I think that's a misunderstanding of what perfection involves. The word perfect, as James is using it, the word contains the idea of reaching a goal, achieving one's purpose. The word can also be translated mature or excellent or splendid. Think of a full-grown human being living into his or her full potential. Think of an artist's masterpiece triumphantly displayed on the gallery wall. Think of an architect's vision finally built in and standing. Think of finally arriving at a long-awaited destination after a dangerous journey. Now, if perfection contains the idea of reaching a goal or achieving a purpose or completing a journey, completeness, that word complete, emphasizes the idea of getting there all in one piece. It can also be translated intact, whole, undefiled, healthy, sound. Or as James says, lacking in nothing. You see, God will not leave any part of us untouched. Or unredeemed. His intent is to mold us and shape us through and through. Through our trials making of us something glorious that will endure into all eternity. You see, James reminds us of the purpose of our trials. That our trials are meant to make us steadfast and splendid and whole. 
And in light of that purpose, James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of many kinds. Now, that phrase, count it all joy, can be misunderstood or misinterpreted in some unhelpful ways. James does not say that Christians should only feel or express joy and we shouldn't feel or express anger or sadness or any other emotions. No. The Bible makes space for believers to lament, to cry out to God in the midst of our distress and perplexity, to acknowledge our unanswered questions and and troubled hearts. This verse is not telling us to pretend that we don't have any other emotions other than joy. It's not saying put on a fake smile all the time. Also, this verse is not commanding us to be happy simply because we are suffering. Look at what James says later on in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. James isn't being cavalier and inconsiderate. He knows the pain that trials can cause. So what is James saying? If he's not saying that we should only feel or express joy, and if he's not saying we should be happy simply because we're in a trial, no, what he's doing is he's lifting our eyes beyond our present trials to God's glorious purpose. He's saying God is working through our trials to make us steadfast and splendid and whole. One commentator put it this way. He said, don't just look at your trial. Look through your trial to its potential outcome. Because if we don't see through our trials, then we can easily collapse under them. But as we see through our present trials and fix our eyes on God's glorious purpose that he is promising to make us steadfast and splendid and whole, and as we align ourselves with that purpose, we can taste genuine joy even in the midst of the fire. You see, the question James is challenging us with is, how are we counting our trials? How are we thinking about them? How are we viewing them? How are we considering them? Do we just consider them completely futile, utterly meaningless, having no redeeming value? Well, if we're holding on to those thoughts, if we're cultivating those thoughts, then we're going to be cultivating feelings of anger and despair and withdrawal. But James says there's a better way to think about our trials. He says, count it genuine joy. Not because trials are enjoyable. And we don't need to pretend that they are. But he says, count it genuine joy because you know God's purpose, because you can trust God's purpose that he is making us steadfast, perfect, and complete through them. Now that's the first thing that James points us to in the midst of our trials, is the purpose of our trials. But that leads us to the second point. James calls us to prayer in the midst of our trials in verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, James is not abruptly shifting to an entirely unrelated topic here. No, James is a wise pastor, and he recognizes that it's hard. 
It's unnatural for us to look through our hard trials and to see God's good purpose. That's not something we as human beings naturally do. Right? We often struggle to remain steadfast in the midst of sickness or displacement or isolation or uncertainty or anxiety. We struggle especially when our trials become far more intense or last far longer than we ever expected them to. And many of us struggle because we've heard that verse in 1 Corinthians that says God won't let us be tempted beyond our ability. But he'll also provide the way of escape so we can endure it. And sometimes we think, but that's not my experience right now. Sometimes we think, I don't see any way out. And I don't see how I can endure this any longer. Count it all joy. That's the most unrealistic command I've ever heard. And so James says to us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. We need to be we, we, this perspective doesn't come naturally to us. And so James says we need to ask God for wisdom. Now, what's wisdom? Well, according to the Bible, wisdom begins with seeing and honoring God for who he really is. Sometimes that's hard for us to do in the midst of trials. To remember and to honor God for who God always has been and, and is and always will be. But wisdom is also the practical ability to live in line with the purposes of God amidst the problems and complexities and frustrations and difficult situations that we face in a fallen world. We need wisdom from God to recognize his enduring purposes and not be overwhelmed by our present problems. We need wisdom from God when in the midst of trials we're weighing competing priorities and having to make difficult decisions. And so we should ask for wis- and keep asking for wisdom. And then James gives us a wonderful truth to encourage us in our asking. He says, God gives generously to all without reproach. Without finding fault, without making us feel ashamed for asking, God generously gives. Have you ever received a gift from someone but later on you realize that their gift wasn't sincerely given. Maybe a friend gave you high praise to your face and then you realize that they were at the same time talking badly about you behind your back. Or maybe a relative did you a favor or sent you a gift, but it came with unspoken expectations and veiled threats of criticism. Maybe a coworker covered your shift because you were sick or your kids were sick, but then they expected you to cover for them when they were being dishonest. Maybe this kind of thing has happened to you so many times that you find it hard to trust the motives of anybody who offers to give you something. Well, this isn't a new problem. Uh, the book of Sirach, which was a well-known book in James's day, said this, a fool's gift will profit you nothing. A fool gives little and reproaches much. Today he lends, and tomorrow he asks it back. You see, some people in this world, it's best if you don't ask them for anything. Because they don't have your best interests at heart, and the main thing you will get from them is trouble. But James says, the true God is not like that. 
The God who we pray to is by his very nature a giving God. And he gives generously and without reproach. That word generously can also be translated sincerely or single-mindedly, wholeheartedly. Right In verse 3, we heard James's summons to steadfastness, to give our undivided loyalty to God. But here James proclaims God's steadfast and undivided and utterly sincere and genuine loyalty and generosity to us. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, it calls it God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God's steadfast love. With God, there's no backtracking or backstabbing, no second guessing or later on guilt tripping. God does not mock us or shame us or belittle us when we ask him for wisdom. He is utterly sincere and wholehearted in his generosity to us. This is what Jesus himself taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So James and Jesus say to us, ask and keep asking. Because God, our Heavenly Father, delights to give to his children. So if we lack wisdom to face our trials, if we're struggling to see God's purpose in the midst of them, we should ask the God who gives, and we should ask confidently and trustingly without wavering in our loyalty to him. Now, verse 6, James says, Ask in faith with no doubting. Now, this is another verse that can raise questions, especially if you're struggling to endure trials with steadfastness and joy. You might think, but how can I ask in faith with no doubting? I'm plagued by feelings of doubt and questions that I can't answer right now. And verse 7 says that if I doubt, I can't expect to receive anything from God at all. Maybe this verse is saying that God's not going to help me. But when we read a scripture and have an immediate negative reaction to it, we should check ourselves because often we're not hearing what it's really saying. So let's look at this paragraph a little more carefully. When we read it more carefully, we might notice a key word in verse 8, double-minded. It also appears in chapter 4, verse 8. Now, why is this word important? It's important because it's the opposite of steadfast and undivided. You see, a double-minded person is not simply someone who has unanswered questions or troubled emotions. A double-minded person has divided loyalties. It's even possible that James invented this word to get his point across. We haven't found it in any earlier writings, but later Christian uh, writers pick up on it. This idea of being double-minded, insincere, unwilling to commit. Another thing we might notice is the image James uses in verse 6. A wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The image is of the swell of the sea. 
always in flux, never at rest, constantly changing with the winds, inherently unstable, anchored to nothing. So in the context of this paragraph, we might ask, what does James mean by with no doubting in verse 6? Well, James is not saying that we should never expect to receive anything from God if we have unanswered questions or troubled emotions. In fact, James assumes that we lack some wisdom, right? If we had complete and perfect wisdom already, we wouldn't need to ask for it. So, of course, we're going to have some unanswered questions and some troubled emotions. That's why we need to ask in the first place. What James is warning us against is exactly what Jesus warned us against in the Sermon on the Mount, which so much of James echoes, right? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. We cannot expect to receive wisdom from God if we're unwilling to surrender ourselves to God. So James invites us to ask God for wisdom confidently and trustingly without wavering in our loyalty to the Lord. So, so far we've seen that James reminds us of God's purpose in our trials. He calls us to prayer in the midst of trials. And third, verses 9 to 11, James gives us a surprising perspective on our trials. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, what is this? James is giving us an upside-down perspective on our trials. Think about it this way. Christian believer, if you're in a low position in this world... If you have limited resources and options and connections, if you feel often disregarded and overlooked, James says rejoice because you have an eternally exalted position in Christ. You are seated with Christ at God's right hand in the heavenly places. You are a child of the King of glory himself. You have an eternal inheritance that will never fade away As James will say in chapter 2, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that God has promised to those who love him? So James says, you are an honored member of the only kingdom that will last forever. You are chosen and loved by the God of the universe himself, so hold your head high. And do not be ashamed, you have much to glory in as a brother or sister in Christ. But on the other hand, James says, if you are rich, if you have a high position in this world, if people speak well of you and listen carefully when you speak, if you have plenty of resources and options and connections to draw upon, remember that all that will pass away. You will one day die. And none of your worldly possessions, none of all those things, can you take with you. All the riches and beauty and fame of this world can fade away far more quickly than you might expect. It's all like a flower of the field. Flourishing today, withered tomorrow. 
So James says, humble yourself before the Lord. Don't glory in things that won't last for eternity. Now, in the midst of trials, we all need this counter-cultural and counter-intuitive perspective on our trials, right? We might be enduring adversity, pressed hard by outward circumstances. We might be enjoying prosperity, but enticed by inward temptations. Each in their own way can be a form of trial. We tend to think of suffering or poverty as a trial, but the Bible also says that receiving praise... Or being well off is a spiritual trial because we can be enticed to put our heart in the wrong place and let our heart uh, be captivated by the things of this world that won't last instead of by the reality of God. You see, either way, whether we're enduring adversity or enjoying prosperity, we can let our identity get wrapped up in our earthly circumstances, in our changing condition, we can so quickly forget who we are before the unchanging God and before his son, Jesus Christ. James says, remember who you are before God. You might ask, how do we get? How do we remember? How do we maintain that eternal perspective that James gives us here in the midst of our trials? When we're low in this world to remember that we are exalted in Christ. And when we're exalted in this world to humble ourselves before the one and only God. Where do we get that perspective? Well, by and large, you won't get that perspective by listening to the news. Many of us spend a lot of time listening to the news and reading articles these days. And they can be helpful and informative in some respects. But they will not remind you of the unchanging reality of who you are before God in Christ. But if we turn off the news and sit quietly in the silence of our own home and listen to our own hearts, we won't necessarily get this perspective there either. The Bible says our own hearts are deceptive and fickle. And easily forgetful. Where do we get this perspective on trials that helps us to remain steadfast? Well, James learned this perspective from at least three sources. First, he learned it from God's word. In particular, from the Old Testament prophets. James is echoing the words of Isaiah who said, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And the words of Jeremiah, who said, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. So brothers and sisters, as you face trials of many kinds, stay anchored in the unchanging truths of the word of God. Spend the time that you have and find time somehow or other to be listening or reading 
the word of God. And letting that anchor your perspective. But James not only read this perspective in the scriptures, James also heard it from his own mother, from Mary herself. Luke chapter 1, Mary sang about God's upside-down kingdom. Mary said, God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Mary knew that truth, even as a young woman. And she held onto it throughout her life, through all the trials that she experienced as a mother. And you know, we too can learn from the spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that God has placed in our lives. Especially today on Mother's Day, we can remember the godly women of the faith, the spiritual mothers who have taught us and who have lived out these truths of dependence on God through hard trials, whether it's your biological mother or someone else that has exemplified persevering faith and steadfast love. Listen to those people. Don't let their voices be drowned out in your life. So James learned this perspective from God's word. He learned it from his mother. And finally, James would have seen this perspective in the life of his brother, the Lord Jesus himself. James could have been echoing Jesus' own words here. Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. But James had not only heard Jesus' words, he had also seen Jesus humble himself. Jesus, the eternally rich Son of God, humble himself to the point of death on a cross, identifying with us in our low estate, willingly bearing the burden of our sin and the curse of death. And then he had seen Jesus raised from the dead and exalted by God. You see, more than anything else, we can get this eternal perspective and hold on to it through all our trials of various kinds by looking to Jesus, seeing his death on the cross for our sins and his being raised to life for our salvation. And as we're connected with him, we share in his humility and we also share in his glory. We see that our sins were so bad that only we could only be saved from them by the Son of God dying for us himself. And yet we see that God's love is so great that he chose to do that on our behalf. And in his resurrection, he defeated death. And so we belong to him. And we can rest in him forever. You see, that's the rock that can carry us through all our trials of various kinds all the way to our destination of being made perfect and complete for all eternity. James knew this. That's why in verse 1 he described himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew who he was. 
He didn't boast. In fact, he doesn't even mention being the physical brother of Jesus Christ. But he knew Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Lord and Christ. James knew who he really was. A humble servant of the Lord. And an exalted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. As we face trials of many kinds, let's hold on to that. Remember God's purpose for us in our trials. Draw near to him in prayer in the midst of our trials. Let's ask him for the wisdom that we need. And finally, hold on to this perspective. Who we are before God in Christ. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the wisdom of James. Thank you for how it speaks to the trials of many kinds that we experience today. We pray that you would anchor us in our identity as your children, as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see your steadfast love to us and may we be encouraged and strengthened to live a life of steadfast love and loyalty to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.